Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Jeff Belanger with us. Author, adventurer, podcaster, storyteller, and explorer of the unexplained. He's written at least more than a dozen books. He's the Emmy-nominated host, writer, and producer of the New England Legends series on PBS, the Amazon Prime also. He also hosts and produces a weekly New England Legends podcast, and he provides programs and lectures to audiences all over the planet. His latest work is called The Call of Kilimanjaro. Jeff, welcome to the program, my friend. How are you? How's the family? George, good to be back with you. Thank you. It's uh, I'm doing okay, you know, in these strange times. My family's okay. We all have our health, so, uh, you know, we, we're very grateful. I miss our live events, Jeffrey. I miss seeing oh. you in, in the flesh and uh, all the great meetings we've had and times like that. I miss those days. So do I. So, George, I've been doing a ton of these Zoom programs for libraries and different organizations all over. Yeah. On the one hand, great, right, because there's, there's you know, no, no travel involved and stuff like that, but it's just not the same as being able to look into people's eyes, shake their hands, meet them in person. I miss it so much. I'm doing Zoom for the Ozark Martin UFO event uh, next month, and then I'm doing Contact in the Desert uh, in June. But you're right. You, it, there's nothing like people. You know, right. where you can yeah. look at them in the eyes and make them laugh, make them cry, make them go, oh, no, he didn't say that. Well, we <laughs> I do know, that. I know. Wait, but I think, we're, I think it's coming around. I do. I have this feeling it just feels like we're getting there. And so I'm hopeful, I'm yep. always, but I'm an optimist. Absolutely. I'm going to get into in the second half of the program tonight your call of Kilimanjaro. Great. I can't believe you climbed that thing. How high up did you go? 19,341 oh. feet. But who's counting? Did you were you winded when you got up there? There is very little oxygen up there. I was way more. I was beyond winded. I was pretty much out of my head. Oh my uh, god! Struggling for every breath. Did you have a oxygen tank or anything like that? Our guides had one, but uh, I was fortunate to uh, not need it. We're only up there ten minutes. You got to start making your way back down um, because the, the air is just so very thin. But it's it's just it was just so life changing. Um, so life-changing, I wrote a book about it. You sure did. It's called The Call of Kilimanjaro. And i got to tell you, the cover is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'd love to take credit. Well, I did take the top photo of the mountain. That was me. But, yeah, no, the publisher did a, did a great job. And just, um, you know, it was such a visual experience in Tanzania. I took 1,600 photographs. Uh, I've spent six days getting to the top, two days getting back down. I, I felt like a pilgrim uh, during a unique part of my life. By the way, the the the, the print this is a heavy heavy book. Yeah. Physically heavy. You you uh spared no expense getting these uh pages together. No, it's full color. Um you know, has dozens of the photos that I took and it, it was I think that it had to be, you know, it was such a visual experience and I wanted to be able to do my best to try to take people through it step by step because I'm I mean, I I'm not a mountain climber. This is my first big mountain. And and so I'm I'm not I'm just sort of like the everyman when it comes to this. I just had a, a big dream about it, and it was just so empowering to, to do all this, um, and deeply spiritual. That part I didn't see coming. We'll um, get into this mission yeah. right at the half. It's an amazing trip. Now, you're still podcasting, are you yes, not? Sir. Yeah, every week. Haven't missed a week, even during COVID. Having fun? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I love getting these, these stories that I know people consider from the fringe, but but doesn't feel so fringy anymore, does it? You know, talking about UFOs and monsters and ghosts and haunts and all these other things. Uh, it just feels, and, and I mean, Coast to Coast has played a huge role in that, you know, as far as making it accessible and making it something that 
we can talk about. Um, and so it just feels like more people are willing to share those stories, which is what humans have done for uh, since we walked out of Africa all those many millennia ago, right? We share stories with each other, and that's how we, we bond. That's how we learn and grow. And so, um, so yeah, just gathering the, the strange tales. And, and, of course, we learn, too, that history has a way of repeating. And whatever we're in, uh, we've been here before. So I know during COVID, I've been doing a lot of stories on New England vampires. Ooh. Because vampires, of course, were related to consumption victims, another plague that uh, has killed, by the way, consumption or tuberculosis, uh, as we know it better today, has taken one billion, that's with a B, billion lives between the year 1800 and the year 2000 worldwide. Uh, This is a huge global killer. It still is in some countries. Um, It's still a huge problem. And so during times of plagues, people get scared, which we're all too aware of. And, And sometimes they don't make rational decisions. And then uh, we start to blame vampires, including exhuming bodies of suspected vampires, tearing their hearts out, burning them up, feeding the ashes to people that are, are sick with consumption in the hope to break the vampire spell. We've been telling these stories because it's kind of like, hey, this sounds eerily familiar, even though it was 200 years ago or 150 years ago. Uh, it, it doesn't sound too far off from where we are right now. Well, that's fantastic. These vampire stories are unbelievable, too, aren't they? Well, so they've been around. Uh, you know, when we hear vampire now, we think about you know uh, Bram Stoker, and we think about all the, the great movies that have come around in the last century. But but long before vampires were sexy, alluring, or transformed into bats or anything like that, they were walking corpses who drained the vitality, the lifeblood of the living. And imagine someone you love is sick with tuberculosis, and you come in in the morning to check on them in their beds, and there's blood on the corner of their mouth and on their chin and on their neck and nightclothes. And you say, oh, my goodness, you know, they've been attacked by something. I mean, now we know, of course, they were coughing up their own blood as, as their lungs are literally being eaten alive by this virus. But, uh, but you look at that and you, you hear stories of vampires and you see your loved one wasting away. And it's just doesn't, it's suddenly not too far of a leap to think that something is literally attacking them. Well, last week, Ron uh, Defoe died, the yes. murderer of the Amityville Horror Stories. Right. That was a bizarre program. You've looked a little bit at that story. Have you ever been to the house? I've been in, so I went to Hofstra University in Long Island. That's where I went to college. And I remember my freshman year, um, you know, I was into this subject back then too. And, you know, you're meeting people and, oh, where are you from? And friends said, oh, Amityville. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, you want to go see the house? I said, yes, I want to go see the house. Uh, so I've been—I mean, I've never been inside, but I've been in in front of it there on Ocean Avenue. It's been renumbered. Those famous windows are long gone, but when you stand in front of it, it's it's pretty obvious that's the house. And the thing about it is that, you know, six people were murdered in that house. That's not some made-up myth or legend. That happened. That happened. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, this and and by the murderer was their their son slash brother. Absolutely gruesome. You know, and as interested in this subject as I am, I would never want to live in a house like that. You know, if you gave it to me for free, I wouldn't want to live in no, a house. No, nor would I. There's too much horror there. Yeah, no, Way for sure. Much. Yeah, and so uh, I was fortunate to, um, to to get really, really one of the last interviews with George Lutz years ago. And this was about the time that the third Amityville movie had come out. And he and I talked for just hours about uh, everything that he'd experienced in that house uh, from, you know, from 
first looking at it to moving in to moving out and then everything that, that transpired since. And I put it in, in one of my older books called Our Haunted Lives, this, this full interview. And I've since um, gotten a little bit friendly with one of, one of his stepkids, uh, with Christopher, and, and, and heard the story from his perspective. This just grips us, right? Because like, like you and I just said, like, hey, if you gave us that house, we don't want to live there. Nope. But, but they bought it, <laughs> and they knew. They, they, they knew what they were buying, and it was fresh then. It was only, you know, the crime was only a year old when the, when the Lutzes move in, moved in. So this, this house has a power to it, and when you stand in front of it, I, I mean, I remember just looking at it, and you, you kind of gulp. You know, this is where something awful took place in this very nice upscale neighborhood where the houses are pretty close together, and the, and they don't welcome people to gawk at this at all, uh, which I understand. But at the same time, you know, some infamous history was made right there. You're still doing paranormal shows for the Travel Channel, aren't you? Yeah, so I've, I'm still working on uh, Ghost Adventures. Been the writer and researcher for 12 years. Uh, Good for every you. episode. And then, um, but I've also been part of this this new series of shock docs that they're doing on Travel and Discovery Plus, and uh, and those have been interesting because it's it's not so much uh, paranormal investigation as like historical investigation, which is my I love that that's my favorite part is to kind of pick apart how these these things came together, and the shock docs are looking at uh, some of the some of the cases that made it into. The popular culture, like Amityville, obviously. Well, you know, once it becomes a, a Hollywood movie, and it's on everybody's minds, um, and then, then of course the story changes and evolves at breakneck speed. Um, you know, th- th- then we're, we're trying to get down to the roots of, of what actually happened. Devil's Road: The Story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Did you ever meet them? So I grew up in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. That's where I was. Uh, that's where I was. You know, did did most of my growing up, and Ed and Lorraine Warren lived in the next town of Monroe. So I knew Ed and Lorraine since I was 12 years old. Um, went to the same church as Lorraine, saw them in the in the grocery store, and back then, I mean, they were real local celebrities. You know, if you talked about a haunted house, they you, they were the go-to people, they, right? especially in Connecticut and and New England area. You say, oh, it's haunted. You know, the Warrens investigated this place, and that was all you had to say, right? And so I remember being at their house and um, interview. That was one of my first big interviews when I was like 18 and writing for a local newspaper was to interview them for Halloween. So I've seen their their collection. I've been in their house. I've, I've interviewed them at various locations. And so, yeah, I got to know them over the years. And it, it's it's fascinating how they're seeing such a revival right now, posthumously. Uh, they've both passed away now. And uh, because of the movies, because of the Conjuring movies that have become so famous. And and fun. I love those movies, but very little fact in them, of course. You know, mm-hmm. great Hollywood fun, you know, jump scares and all the things you like in scary movies, but uh, very little fact. And what's scary is some people view these movies and think that they are documentaries, not Hollywood films. And they're not. They're just, you know, uh, they're, they're fantastical, you know, roller coaster rides, but they are not based too heavily on fact. <laughs> and so there's there's almost some setting the record straight uh, work to do in some of these cases. Will anybody ever replace them, Jeff? Oh, why, boy, everybody's trying every day, right? <laughs> they are. <laughs> so many. Uh, but, but you know what? Will anyone ever replace George Norrie? And the answer is no. There's one George Norrie. There's one Jeff Belanger. And you shouldn't, no one should even strive to be someone else. You should just strive to be yourself and put your own mark on, on, on the work that you do. 
and and that's and and so anyone looking at them like sure a husband and wife team she was the psychic medium ed was this charming painter and storyteller ed was ed could could work a room you know did you meet him did you ever get to meet never know never met them yeah just never ed. Met them. I remember being in high school, and they would hold these, uh, around Halloween, of course, they would hold these programs where they would share some of their evidence and play just chilling audio, you know, audio messages and, and show you photographs and video clips, and you'd sit there, and Ed was just so charming, and, and Lorraine was like everyone's grandma, you know, just called everyone honey, and I remember being in their house, and this was before the internet, and their phone number was listed. You could just call Monroe and ask for their their names, and you'd get their 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 home phone. And all day long, the phone would just ring and ring, and Lorraine would answer it, and she'd you know you'd hear one side of it. Yes, honey. Oh, that sounds bad, honey. Oh, is there a Ouija board in the house? Oh, you got to get rid of that, honey. And then she would hang up, and then the, that same conversation would just happen again and again, just people calling and calling, uh, and and and. They helped if they could, you know. They went to the homes that sounded really interesting, and they investigated and came at it from a very religious point of view, from a very Roman Catholic point of view. You know, Ed Ed called himself a demonologist. Uh, he was looking for demons, not just run-of-the-mill ghosts. And I think that's something that set them apart pretty early on. It set them apart from, like, the Hans Holzers and the Brad Steigers of the world. And you've touched a little bit on the exorcism with the individual who was exorcised, the little boy. Uh, yeah, the Exorcist uh, book and movie. Um, the, uh, the, one of the shock docs was the exorcism of Roland Doe. Roland Doe was the actual boy that went through an exorcism. Doe being the anonymous last name, like John Doe or Jane Doe. Um, but the, this boy, uh, this this story is is really interesting because it became the basis. William Peter Blatty used it as the basis for uh, for writing the book, The Exorcist, and then of course later the movie. The real case is 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 fascinating you know the the boy was from uh, from Maryland but went through all these exorcisms in St. Louis and I've been to the house in St. Louis where he stayed mm-hmm. um, I've I've been into the um the museum there in St. Louis has the cross on display That's right and, and it's and it's such an interesting museum they've got so much fun stuff and then right by I think an elevator there's just this one cross with a little bitty sign that said this is the cross that hung outside the Alexian Brothers Hospital where Roland Doe went through some of his exorcisms. And the, 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 that case, like when you hear about the actual real case, which, by the way, the movie has almost zero to do with it, other than this was a, an exorcism case that made it into the papers and inspired William Peter Blatty. But there's there's like strange stories, like the furniture from the room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital um, was was kind of like quarantined after that exorcism, and then it went into storage, and then it went into storage at a mil- nearby military base, and then it vanished. And, and just furniture, hospital beds, and things like that. Like, why should that matter at all? Who would care? Just destroy it, throw it away if if you're really afraid of it. But why keep it in storage, and then to the point where it was it was lost, and now nobody knows where it it was. I mean, my assumption is that it's probably some clerical thing where a room full of junk and eventually no one asked about it for so long that someone did just dispose of it. But still, it became this mystery uh, because I remember we tried to find it years ago. We were trying to hunt it down because this is a case that blew into something huge. It eventually became the basis for this wildly popular and, and still holds up frightening movie that scared us. You know, scared us about what what things are lurking um, after innocent children. 
What what drives you pushing for the paranormal? I I guess I want I want my own answers. You know, I'm not out to prove anything to anyone in the world but me. I I have big questions just like everybody else. I I was raised Catholic and I I I can't escape that. That's my upbringing. And I, I think about the stuff I learned back then. And I think maybe because of my Catholic upbringing, you know, it occurred to me along the way. So with Catholics, we have God and we have the devil. And we have angels and we have demons. And we have sinners and we have saints. And we have purgatory. I mean, that is a whole spectrum, right? <laughs> you have everything in between is in there somewhere represented. And uh, room for just about anything you can imagine in the paranormal, uh, from my perspective anyway. And so I just kind of want to know, you know, how does it work? It, is it really there? Um, are, are these feelings I have inside from me or from someone else? And then, you know, once, once you start looking into ghosts and you hear about the experiences of others and you have some of your own experiences, you start really, well, I don't know, I can't help it. I just want to delve in deeper and deeper. And I want to know, how come some things catch fire? Like Roland Doe's story. Why does his story catch fire? And the tens of thousands of other exorcism stories are, are, are sort of kept quiet. You know, why, why do we talk about some buildings being so very haunted and the ones right next door that are just as old or older, uh, we don't. There's something in us, and, and, and call it some, you know, sixth sense that we all have, whether we acknowledge it or not, call it some uh, tapping into some, you know, universal subconscious or something. I don't know but I want to know, and, and I want to become part of those stories. I can't help it. You know, it's like if you, if you hear about a really good restaurant, you're like, well, I want, to go, I want to go eat there. I want to find out what all the fuss is about, or, you know, a, a fun roller coaster at a, at a theme park. I want to ride it. I want to see if it's as scary as they say. We can't help it. We, we want to be the, the judge at the end of the day. And so uh, I think that's, that's a big part that, that just drives me. And then once you start having some of these experiences and once I got a taste for it and learning that there's just so many stories that make our communities unique and that connect us to each other and to our history, it's just, it's addicting. Uh, I've made some of the, the best friendships of my life. I've seen incredible places because of this work. And I, I think all of that because we're talking about something deeper than just you know, the weather, you know, sports, politics, whatever. We're talking about, like, some really deep, really human experiences and issues. Important stuff. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.